Well, good morning. Open your Bibles to Ephesians. We're going to look today at Ephesians 6, verses 1 through 4, but we're going to back up and start with chapter 5, verse 22, to kind of remind us the context of this passage this morning. Happy Mother's Day again to you, godly moms and grandmothers here today. And if you were in the third, fourth, or fifth grade, would you raise your hand? And there's some even, even, even some, we welcome you today, those of you who are in here, young children. Uh, just a reminder, those of you who are, and even some of you who are less than, uh, some of you are second graders, some of you are first graders maybe even here this morning, a reminder that uh, this guy up here standing with this tie on, this really handsome bald man up here, okay, he's talking to you, okay? Okay, sometimes we forget when we're in an audience and, and uh, you think, who's that guy talking to? I'm talking to you, okay? So, so you're here today to, to hear the word proclaimed, and uh, we pray that God will fill you with his Holy Spirit, and uh, some of you have already put your hope and trust in Christ already, but we pray that that'll happen even today as you learn how to obey your mother and father, which is a great gift from God. So let's start uh, with the word this morning, Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to start with verse 22, um, so we'll start reading there. This is the word of God. This is the word of God to believe. This word is to believe God himself. To disbelieve this word is to disbelieve God himself. So we put our hope and trust in him and believe his word, don't we? Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of his church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh." This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Children, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning, and, and as we often pray, it is, it's just a glorious morning to be here together. Lord, there's no better place we could be on a Sunday morning than to be gathered with your saints here at this place to proclaim the greatness and goodness of your blessed Son, Jesus Christ, through the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, to, to understand that you are our Father, that you have called us to yourself, and that you have saved us by your mighty hand and the work of Christ on the cross. Lord, now as we open your word and we turn our hearts toward it, will you work in our hearts this morning, especially for our children that are with us today? Whether those children are four years old, eight years old, 25 years old, or 77 years old, Lord, we pray that all of us as children will know that we can honor our mothers and our fathers. Lord, help us to believe this word. Help the fathers today as we instruct them as well. Lord, as we've already prayed a blessing upon our mothers, we're so thankful for them as they have parented us and shown their great love for you by loving us and teaching us your ways. Lord, we commit this time to you now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Someone has said... 
in the past. It's been attributed possibly to Luther, maybe to Calvin. We're not really sure. That if we preach the gospel at every point, except that point where Satan is presently attacking, we have not preached the gospel. Right now, in this modern context, in the time which we live, you would have to be blind to not see that Satan is attacking the family. He's been attacking the family, attacking marriages, attacking husbands, attacking wives and their roles. And now more and more we see him moving to attack children. The very idea of children, the very reality of mothers and fathers, and their responsibility. And more and more trying to divorce or to move away from the responsibility of husbands and wives as parents, mothers and fathers to their children, and try to claim the responsibility for raising children themselves. One of the ways that Satan is using and one of his most powerful weapons is actually the state. Let me read this from uh, Rod Dreher. I got an email uh, newsletter this week, and it said this. The belief that the state has prior authority over children is something straight out of communism. Uh, I hope you don't squirm or cluck your tongue or roll your eyes because this is true. And you can wrestle with me later if you want to do that after church. I'm serious, he says. Read what Alexandra Kalinanti, a leading Bolshevik, wrote in 1920 about the necessity to smash traditional family norms. This in particular. Here's what this man wrote. Just as housework withers away, so the obligations of parents to their children wither away gradually until finally society assumes the full responsibility. You see what he's saying? We take that away from parents and society takes over to raise children. Communist society considers the social education of the rising generation to be one of the fundamental aspects of the new life. The old family, the traditional family, the old family, narrow and petty, where the parents quarrel and are only interested in their own offspring, is not capable of educating the new person. The playgrounds, gardens, homes, and other amenities where the child will spend the greater part of the day under the supervision of qualified educators will, on the other hand, offer an environment in which the child can grow up as a conscious communist who recognizes the need for solidarity comradeship, mutual help, and loyalty to the collective. Sounds like the Borg in Star Wars, if you're familiar with that. Dreyer goes on, he says, in the same essay, Colin Tenney denies that the communist state is trying to destroy the family, even though the entire essay proposes exactly that. He asks, sound familiar? You must surely be tired of hearing me say this, but this is exactly why people who came to the West escaping Soviet communism say that they are now witnessing the emergence of a new form of totalitarianism. This is why I wrote Live Not By Lies to share their warning and their advice for how to build networks of resistance. There are many who, brave and, who are brave and are standing firm against the new totalitarianism, but my tribe is the Christian tribe, and we Christians know that, as St. Paul put in his letter to the church in Ephesus. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. He writes, this is not just a metaphor. This is not just a metaphor. It's literal truth. Christians who are fully aware of this also know they must avail themselves of spiritual rep weaponry and strategies. The battle, as St. Paul tells us, is ultimately spiritual. God in his wisdom has given us the family. God in his wisdom has given us fathers and mothers, husbands and wives, children who belong to us. 
Hayden is my son. Hayden is Linda's son. He does not belong to Gavin Newsom. He is not Gavin Newsom's boy to raise. He is my son to raise in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. I speak very firmly and boldly <laughs> because I work for a public school. And I could make you blush and cry and scream out of here with your hair on fire probably if I told you some of the things I've heard in trainings in our school system. God in his wisdom has given to each of us in the household what is needed. And when Roger talks about forming communities of resistance, this is what we're doing. It's very simple. What does that mean? It means that we are fathers and mothers, marriages, couples, families who live together, who love each other, who go to church, who read the Bible, who pray, who sing. There's such a simplicity to it, but there is incredible power in it because it is God's will and it's God's way. So God gives us wisdom, and he's told each person in the household what is needed. Over the last few weeks, we've heard from the word and from our pastors as they've opened the word to us. Wives, submit. Wives, submit. Husbands, love. Husbands, love. This week, children, obey. And also, fathers, instruct. Each one is encouraged in the household to live out their responsibilities in the Lord. It's interesting. Over and over again, we see that pattern. Wives in the Lord, husbands in the Lord, children in the Lord. A godly wife filled with the Spirit will submit to her own husband. A godly husband filled with the Spirit will love his own wife. And through that love, both of them submitting to their God with his instruction ringing in their ears to the first married couple will, if the Lord wills, be fruitful and multiply. They will have children. And those godly children will, by the power of the Spirit, learn to obey. Each person in the household, the wife, the husband, the children, is dependent upon the power of the Spirit to fulfill their responsibility. A woman cannot submit to her husband who sometimes is, let me use the theological term, a bonehead. <laughs> She must have the power of the Spirit to see through that man and see Christ standing behind him, to fix her eyes on Christ, the author and perfecter of her faith. A godly husband, wives, you're not off the hook. <laughs> A godly husband must, when his wife is cantankerous or bitter or frustrated in some way, must be able to look through his wife to see Jesus standing there and see that his love of her in spite of her unloving nature at times is a response to Jesus Christ and to his Father. Children as well must be able to look with the power of the Holy Spirit through their fathers and mothers. Sometimes when dad is overbearing, sometimes when mom is tired, and be able to say that even though they may not be perfect because moms and dads are not perfect, we must obey mommy and daddy. Why? Because I love Jesus. So let's get started. We have two points today. Simply, the children's responsibility and their father's responsibility. And then lots of subpoints beneath those. <laughs> so let's get going. Number one, the children's responsibility. Let's look at our passage. Chapter 6, verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Paul gives a straight command to children, a simple command, really. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. The command is simple. It's, it's straightforward. There's no long list of duties here or no complex formulas. It's just simply children obey your parents. So what does it mean? I have to ask the question, what does it mean to obey? Obey. It's kind of a funny word, even when it's, it's even kind of sounds funny. Obey. <laughs> it's 
kind of a strange word. It almost sounds like pig Latin or something, right? Uh, obey, right? What does it mean to obey? Well, some other words that mean obey would be like to submit, okay, to follow, to observe, to conform, to mind. You might hear that, right? Are you minding your mama? You mind your mama. I might mean, hear my grandmother, you know, or my grandfather, you know, are you minding mommy? Are you minding daddy? Yes, I'm minding, right? I mind. I obey. Or simply this, right? To do as you're told. To do as you're told. Writing this sermon, it made me think back. I, I can remember a time in my youth when my brother and my sister, there were three of us. I was the oldest. I still am the oldest, I guess. I, as, <laughs> as it does, right? <laughs> it doesn't change, I guess. Some strange alternate universe, I guess I'm... Uh, I don't believe in alternate universes. Don't write me about that. There is no such thing as an alternate universe. This is the only one there is. But I can remember sitting on the, on the ground, and, and back in the day, right, we didn't have, we had uh, the black and white TV set. You got home from school, and typical families probably, the TV came on the moment you got, you had a snack, you sit, and sit down, you started watching all the reruns, right? Gilligan's Island, uh, Adam's Family, Beverly Hillbillies, I Love Lucy. There were all these shows, one after another. And I can remember sitting there with myself, myself and my sister, my little brother, and we're watching TV. And my mother said, guys, you need to, you know, when this next show ends, you need to turn off the TV because we're going to do this or that. You need to start cleaning up your room, get ready for dinner, blah, 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 right? And so there was this game that you would play, of course, where you would try to, if we can, like she can walk out and forget and the next show can get started. Oh, we're right in the middle of Gilligan's Island. What's going to happen? This poor family, they're stuck forever. Will they ever get off the island? You know, okay, okay, you know, I'll let you finish that one. And then she'd forget and walk away. And you know, oh, no, and I love Lucy. What's going to happen? Oh, Ricky's going to do this, you know. And so my mother would kept saying, turn off the TV, turn off the TV, turn off the TV. And it, finally I could hear it in her voice, you know, she was getting frustrated. Unbeknownst to us, my father was in the house, in another area. But he could hear her voice, turn off the TV, turn off the TV. I said, turn off the TV. I said, turn off the TV. No, well, just a minute, just a minute. Okay, just a minute, just a minute, just a minute. My dad walked into the room, reached behind the TV, and went boom, and pulled the cord out of the back of the TV. <laughs> Not out of the wall. Dink. And if you remember these, all of a sudden the, the, the screen went down and it turned that little, ooh, and we watched with mouths agape as that little, that little, you know, our whole life was slipping away as that little, that little white dot, and uh, eh, as it finished, we kind of all just looked up at dad and dad goes, I guess you'll get up now. And we did. We got up. It was quite interesting. Uh, he didn't yell. I meant uh, he just, you know, that's what he did. And we had nine months at our house with, with no TV. Uh, he finally ended up getting it fixed because there was some, you know, some special coming on at some point and went and got the, the plug put in the back. But the point is this. We were being disobedient, right? We were being disobedient. disobedient uh, disobedience is when you're not doing what you're told. You're not conforming. You're not submitting. You're not following. You're not observing. Uh, you're not obeying. And here's the thing to remember, children, right? And adults as well, because we have a heavenly father that we're, we need to obey. Delayed obedience is disobedience. Delayed obedience is disobedience. Our father, our heavenly father tells us what to do. We should obey. Don't put it off. Don't do it on your terms, on your time, when you feel like it, when you're ready. No, delayed obedience is disobedient. Children, when your mom or dad tells you it's time to do this, do it with a happy heart. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Okay. Okie dokie. Yes. Okay. I'll do it, right? Jump up. Why? Because it will go well with you. Obedience is hard. Obedience is hard. I don't want you to come away thinking this is, this is so easy. Obedience is hard, but God has not left you alone. The passage says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. Children, you have a heavenly father who has given you your parents to teach you to obey. 
And God has given you and given us, his son, Jesus Christ, to teach us how to obey. We're not left alone. The wife is not left alone in knowing how to submit to her husband. The husband is not left alone in knowing how to love his wife. And children are not left alone in knowing how to obey your parents. Because you're given a big brother in Jesus Christ who obeys his father perfectly. And we are to watch him, learn from him. Hebrews 5.8 says this, speaking of the eternal son, remember the eternal son who becomes Jesus incarnate, God in the flesh. Hebrews 5.8 says, although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Luke 2.52 talks about when Jesus was a young man. It says, Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. The incarnate Christ, Jesus in the flesh, grew just like you. He grew just like you. He grew in wisdom. He grew in stature. He, he grew up. He got bigger, right? He, he ate and he drank and he, he, he grew. And he grew in favor with God and man. He grew with wisdom. He grew in stature, his size. He grew in favor with God and with man. And so, children, we need to remember that we have someone to look to, someone to, to learn from when we learn how to be obedience, uh, obedient to our parents, and that is Jesus Christ. We preached on this just a few weeks back uh, from Hebrews uh, chapter 12. Uh, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let, a, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is marked out for us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured this cross. And so children, whenever you're having struggles obeying, who do you look to? Who do you look to? I need a, I need a, let me, I'm going to pick on somebody now. This is Mr. Brian, elementary school teacher. Okay, so I'm going to spin the wheel and then I'm going to call on you if your name comes up. Ready? Here we go. Ding. Everett, your name came up. Who should you look to to learn how to obey? Oh, good job. Everybody give him a hand. All right, Everett, thank you. All right, all right. God, exactly. Let's spin the wheel one more time. Ding. Garrett's thinking, don't, please don't call me, Pastor Kevin. Uh, Elias. Who, yeah. Besides God, yes, we look to God. Who else did God give us that we should look to to learn to obey? Jesus, exactly. Give him a hand. All right, good job. <laughs> Children, obey your parents in the Lord. And then Paul says this, for this is right. This is right. Children, when you obey your parents, you are doing what is right. The root word for the word righteous comes out of that, right? Right, righteous. It means virtuous, moral, good, respectable, honorable. Children, when you obey your parents, it is good, true, and beautiful. It is good. It is true. It is beautiful. This is what is right. Uh, Proverbs 6.20 says this, My son, keep your father's commandments and forsake not your mother's teaching. Why should I obey mom and dad? Because the, the, the apostle tells us it is right. It is right. We've all been in the grocery store probably and seen a little child throwing a fit or doing something that he shouldn't do. And it's, 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 it's not good. It's not right. It's ugly. Uh, it, it's, it's not beautiful. Uh, we, we've, we've lived before uh, next to neighbors whose child can throw a fit. And there's been times when I've actually wanted to, it's really, really hard. I'm sorry. It's really hard. I, I, I have a job where all day long I tell children what to do and expect them to do it. <laughs> when, early in my teaching career, when I walked, I would walk through Vaughn's or Albertson's, it was really hard for me not to say, hey, stop running. <laughs> Just to random children, right, who are walking. 
You know, they're like, who are you? And I'm like, you know, listen to your mother, obey your mother. Like, who is this guy? Get away from me. You're a stranger, stranger danger, right? Um, so, so no, it is, it, it's not beautiful. It's not good. It's not right when a child is, is being disobedient, right? But obeying your mother and father, the apostle tells us it's right. It's right. But then he gives us another reason. He says, honor your father and mother. This is the first, first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Paul here quotes the fifth commandment from Exodus 20, 12, and he combines it also really with Deuteronomy 440. Listen, Exodus 20, 12, honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. And then he really co- combines portions with Deuteronomy 440. It says, therefore, you shall keep his statutes and his commandments, which I command you today, that it may go well with you and with your children after you and that you may prolong your days and the Lord in the land that the Lord your God is giving you for all time. John MacArthur uh, refers, uh, refers to this section in uh, one of his books. He says this, that commandment is the turning point of the Ten Commandments. The first four commandments, we can think of them like two tablets in a way. The first four commandments, often called the first table of the law, describe aspects of our duty to God. Have no other gods. Make no graven images. Don't take the Lord's name in vain and remember the Sabbath, the first four of that table. The remaining six commandments, or the second table of the law, spell out our duties with respect to other people. Honor your parents. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. And do not covet. But the starting place and the foundation for all relationships is the child's duty to honor his or her parents. Think of it. That's the first law on that side. Since, that is, uh, since the first relationship we ever experienced, uh, this is our first moral principle that every child needs to learn. It is fitting, therefore, uh, that, the, that that first commandment on that side, uh, which is the fifth commandment, is that the law, uh, the law will govern the parent and child relationship. So what was he saying there? Uh, he's saying that, look, All those other laws of dealing with people, dealing with relationships, start with this. Children, honor your mother and father. If you start there, everything else should fall in place, shouldn't it? Children, honor your mother and father. And he says this, that it may go well with you. There are two parts to this promise. First, it promises quality of life. Quality of life. It's a promise of wellness, goodness, long life blessing and prosperity, that it may go well with you. And second, it promises length of days that you may live long in the land that God has given you. Or another way of saying that is to to live long upon the earth. So there's two things, quality and, 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 and quantity, quality of life and quantity of life. I, I think I've told this before, but I, I remember quite a few years back uh, up in Big Bear during a time in winter there at the Big Bear Lake, uh, a young child ran out onto the ice. It was in the news. Ran out onto the ice. The ice broke through, fell into the, into the lake. Uncle went after the child to try to rescue the child, this little boy. Ice broke through on him, and he went into the lake, and, and both died. I doubt very seriously that those parents were teaching that child to run on the iced-over lake. I'm pretty sure that they would tell them, do not go out onto that lake. And there's a very real practical reason to obey mother and father. Mom and dad are, children, look at me. Mom and dad are smarter than you are, okay? (laughs) Mom and dad are smarter than you are. Biblically speaking, we would say that they're wise. They're wiser than you are. And many children... I deal with it every day where I teach, are wise in their own eyes. They think they're all smart. At school, I'm not Pastor Kevin. At school, I'm Mr. Brian. Mr. Brian tells kids to do something, and almost every day, some little kid, some little third grader tries to correct me. No, that's not the way volcanoes work. They do this and they do that. Blah, 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 blah. Just like going on, you know, no. (laughs) That's not how it is. 
Mom and dad are smarter than you are. They're wiser than you are. God has given parents uh, to children for a reason. They need training. They need help. And for them to, uh, for their lives to go well, and for them to live long, literally, means to listen to mom and dad, to listen to mom and dad. All right. So let's turn the page here. That deals with children, okay? The apostle goes on, and he turns from children to fathers, the father's responsibility. He says this, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Let's read it again. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Spurgeon has said this about this passage, Train up a child in the way he should go, but be sure you go that way yourself. Train up a child in the way he should go, but be sure that you go that way yourself. I can remember a, a very uh, popular commercial back in the day, kind of one of those uh, special ads that's trying to teach you some things. And it, it was called like Father Like Son. And they'd show the little boy is trying to build something or the dad's got a saw and the little boy's got his little toy saw. And they'd say, like Father, like Son. And they'd go to the next little thing. He's putting on a tie and the little boy's trying to put on a tie. Or the, the dad's shaving and the boys pretend shaving too. And it keeps saying, like Father, like Son. And then the next one shows the guy, you know, striking up a mash and starting to smoke a cigarette. And the little boy's watching, you know, oh, and he's got a little stick, you know, like Father, like Son, Right? Not here to debate the evils of tobacco today. <laughs> but the point, is, the point is clear, right? Train up a child in the way you should go, but be sure you go that way yourself. John Piper has said this, The happiest and holiest children in the world are the children whose father succeed in winning both their tender affection and their reverential and loving fear. And they are the children who will come to understand and most easily uh, understand the mystery of the fatherhood of God. As we, those of us who have had loving and, and godly parents, our godly fathers have helped us to know what the father of, fatherhood of God is really like. And so, uh, fathers, we turn now to you. And we know uh, in this passage, uh, the ESV, it's tra translated father here. The word that's, that's translated is translated father. The word could also be translated parent as well. And so certainly this applies to parents when we're looking at these passages. But the main responsibility, I want you to hear me, dads, the main responsibility lies to you because you are the father and you are the head. And the head is responsible. The head directs the body which way to go. It doesn't mean that the fathers are the only ones doing the homeschooling or doing the instruction and reading and writing and arithmetic and training in, in, uh, in godliness at home. Of course not. Uh, mothers are engaged in that as well. But who's responsible? Dad is. Dad is responsible to make sure that when he's gone to work doing the jobs that he has to do to provide for the family, that mom is at home teaching and training those children as well. And that the dad does not put it off on mom only. To, to come alongside, to talk, to walk, to listen, uh, to train his children. Uh, so number one, number one, let's look here. First, Paul says, first there's the negative command. First, Paul says, do not provoke your children to anger. Do not provoke your children to anger. What does that mean? To pro provoke is, it's, it's don't thoughtlessly aggravate them. Uh, don't unnecessarily goad them. Don't deliberately exasperate them. Don't foolishly discourage them. Uh, we've probably been around uncles, <laughs> you know, or, 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 or fathers who have this very immature nature about them, that they're just kind of poking and prodding and, and teasing all the time. There's, there, there's a kind of good-natured teasing and having fun with our boys or girls, but there's also that kind that's just, a, just an ongoing uh, exasperation, bothering, frustrating, 
uh, and it's like it's almost like you, you've got two little children here. One is 45, and the other one's four. You know, and so and so fathers, uh, we 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 have to grow up. Okay, grow up as you're a young man uh, who are having children. You're the adult. You're the adult, and so and so you're the mature one. So we don't provoke our children to anger by exasperating them, by unnecessarily goading them, or deliberately exasperating them, uh, discouraging them. But instead, what do we do? Show your love for them by treating them with gentleness and kindness, consideration, and respect. Uh, after all, MacArthur says, that's an essential part of being a good example to them. We treat them with respect, even though they're little people. I can remember one time a, a psychologist came into my classroom, an educational psychologist, and was watching my classroom when I used to teach in, in Watts, and I had a, a special day class there, a special ed class uh, that was uh, where I spent my whole day. And the children were all saying, thank you, Mr. Bryan, uh, please this and please that, and they kept referring to me as sir. Excuse me, sir, may I please oh, sharpen my pencil? I said, yes, you may. They th thank you, sir. I said, you're welcome, sir. Good job. You know, yes, ma'am. And so it was back and forth, right? The psychologist pulls me aside later at lunch and said, that made her very uncomfortable. I'm like, what, what, <laughs> what, what made you uncomfortable? She said, I would not be comfortable with that. With what? With what? Well, those, the children all calling you sir. That, was, that, was, that made her very uncomfortable. And I was like, I don't understand. Why would that make you uncomfortable? Well, because it felt like, you know, I'm up here and they're down there, right? I said, but did you hear me refer to them as sir? Excuse me, sir, would you please sharpen the pencils? Excuse me, ma'am, would you please line up, right? I had the same respect and kindness toward them, the same generosity and lovingness, loving, uh, I can't even speak now, loving kindness <laughs> toward those children. But that was one of the challenges of what's going on in the world today is this idea of, child-centered education or child-centered parenting, that they're just, we're just friends. And there's a disturbing trend right now uh, in, in education. A uh, majority of teachers don't refer to the children anymore as boys and girls. They're instructed not to. Now they're friends. Friends, let's all line up, friends. Good morning, friends. Come over here, friends. Friends, let's do this, friends. Hmm, that sounds kind of like comrade. Okay, so anyway, so because we're all equal, right? We're all equal. I happen to be a teacher who knows what I'm teaching, but you're just now my friend. You're not boys and girls. Boys and girls, line up. Yes, ma'am, Miss Smith. Yes, sir, Mr. Bryan. Um, it's, a, it's a bizarre time we're living in. I got to find my place in my notes. That was, that was free. That whole thing is free, that, that, <laughs> that tangent there. <clears throat> the expression... Here I am. The expression provoke to wrath is one word in the Greek, and it applies to every kind of anger, okay, uh, to provoke to wrath. It, 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 it entails silent fuming. It could be silent fuming to indignant outburst to full-fledged rebellious rage. Children can express uh, wrath in different ways. And here's a reminder, children, this is to you especially. Sin of mother or father is not an excuse for sin in your heart. Okay, Sin in mom and dad is not an excuse for sin in your own heart. In the same way that sin in, in the wife is not an excuse for sin in the husband. Okay, If you hadn't have done this, I wouldn't have done that. Right? No, no. You don't. Mom can be tired and and, and uh, frustrated, and you can come home, and you can't, say, you can't blame it on her, right? Same thing for you ladies, right? Well, if you hadn't walked in the door and dropped your shoes right in the middle of the place, and da-da-da, or, you know, I picked up your underwear for the 42th time in the world, <laughs> right? No, right? In the same way, uh, children, uh, you have to know that your eyes are fixed upon Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. And so you're never given uh, an excuse or a reason to be a child of wrath, okay? A child of wrath, to throw fits of anger or to talk back or to fume or to give the silent treatment. Uh, none of those things are okay. It's not befitting a child of God. Uh, John MacArthur in his little book, The Fulfilled Family, 
<clears throat> identifies a, a number of ways that parents can provoke their children to wrath. And uh, I'm not going to go in, in, in detail to each one, but I'm just going to list them kind of quickly here. So one way that, that, that parents could provoke their children to wrath would be excessive discipline. Excessive discipline. Uh, children must be disciplined. Okay, hear me. Children must be disciplined. Proverbs 13, 24. We take this, we believe this here at this church. Every one of your elders believes this. And we have uh, used this and we, and we uh, hold to this. Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. So hear that. That is the truth of Scripture. If you don't discipline your children, that's not loving. That's hateful. Okay? And so, and so we do discipline our children. But we should not uh, have excessive discipline where we're just kind of always eager eager to, to, to grab that rod and start whacking away, right, at every little, every little turn. We should be uh, like God, um, who is long-suffering with us, right? Yes, he disciplines those he loves. Of course he does. But he's patient, and he's kind, and he's loving, even in that discipline. And so when discipline does come, uh, after that discipline, I'm sure you're like this as well, there's a time of healing, and a time of forgiveness, and a time of loving, until that uh, relationship is restored. Number two, another way is inconsistent discipline. Inconsistent. You never know what's going to set dad off. One day, whack, okay, there it is. The next day, no big deal, no big deal, no big deal, whack, right? I mean, it's just, it's inconsistent, okay? Be consistent in your discipline. Number three, unkindness, okay? Being unkind to your children. Number four, showing favoritism. I like her, I like him, I, I favor them over, the, over you, uh, another way, another way, overprotection, overprotection. Um, as we're raising our children, and this is just you know me talking, and and uh, so one of the things is is kind of to, to see our, our discipline and our protection as an upside down triangle, right? When children are are small, yes, we don't say here are the keys to the car, knock yourself out, have a great day, right? No, they're they're we're very protective of them. They don't get to cross the road by themselves when they're three years old, two years old, right? We're watching those children. But as we're training them and loving them, over time, that triangle of protection is, is, gets gradually bigger and bigger in a way because they're growing in trust and ability and wisdom, and we allow more and more. I can remember when I was uh, a young man being raised by Christian parents, you know, in Texas, it was a different... Was, I will say this, it was a different time and a different place, small town. There was no, there was no, I had no curfew. My parents didn't, there was not a curfew. And I remember one night I stayed out and I was out with my Christian friends, stayed out a little bit, a little bit too late. And I came in and the next morning dad said, what time did you get in, son? And I was like, oh, you know, I don't know. It was late. It was probably 1 a.m. or something crazy, you know. And, uh, and he said, you know, your mother was really worried. That's too late, Right. I'm like, yes, sir. You know, he goes, so do you, do you need a curfew? <laughs> no, sir. <laughs> I don't need a curfew. Can we, can we agree that you're going to be in here by, by a reasonable time? I am, don't go out of here, children, and say, Mr. Pastor Kevin got to stay out until 1.30. <laughs> That's not what I'm saying. The point, the point is this, is that there was a level of trust and understanding between my father. And when I crossed the line, he said, hey, let's reel it back in, right? Let's reel it back in. Another time I remember... Uh, I, my dad was very much a, 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 a put-together guy, right? And so um, he, worked at, he worked at a body shop. He owned a body shop. And my grandfather and my dad had, had shop uniforms. And they liked to be very put-together, very pressed, very clean, right? Even though it was a, a dirty, you know, mechanic kind of business. Uh, and so the same thing was true for me, right? You're going to wear a shirt. He had a, a rule, right? You're going to tuck your shirt in. You're going to wear a belt, Okay. Well, this, the, the, the fad at that time was not to wear a belt. You know, you tucked your shirt in, you tuck in your polo shirt or even a T-shirt, and you didn't wear a belt. Belts were for geeks, man. Come on, <laughs> right? We probably didn't have the word geeks back then, whatever. But, but I didn't wear and so And so my dad said, look, either you, either you put your shirt out or you put your shirt in. But if you put your shirt in, you wear a belt. Okay, so he gave me strong instruction about this. One day, I thought that was just, I just thought that looked so foolish. My friends didn't wear belts. They wore their shirts tucked in with no belts. 
So I left the house to go out with my, and these were Christian friends. I went to go out, you know, to something. And, and as I got in the car, rolled it up, put it on the seat. Hey, I look cool, right? I got my polo shirt tucked in, in my, in my jeans. I'm looking all cool. I came home and walked in the front door. And my dad's sitting there, looked over and says, where's your belt? <laughs> I go, dun, dun. <laughs> I forgot the belt. I was going to put it back on, you know. Oh, he was so upset with me. I was probably 16 years old at that time. He was so mad and was very frustrated. And um, my mom, you know, went and talked to him. She went and talked to me. He was just really, really upset, and I could tell. And probably an hour later, I was in my room, and he came in and sat down on the bed, and he said, I need to talk to you. And I thought, oh, this is it, you know. I'm going to... I'm going to have to wear a belt till I'm 65 years old. <laughs> Either wear a belt or wear it, if you know what I mean. And he said, you know, I've been thinking. Wearing a belt is n- or not wearing a belt is not going to get you into heaven or send you to hell. And I'm like, okay, I, I think your theology is pretty good there. <laughs> you know? said, so I've decided that's, that's your decision. That's not the kind of thing that I think that I think I need to, to just be on you about. You can make a, a, a godly decision about that, and I'm not going to talk to you about that ever again. It's your decision. My respect for my father w- was through the roof because he understood that he had raised a godly son, and these were things that were not that kind of thing, but it was the kind of thing that could have provoked me to wrath. If he just kept on that and kept on that and kept on that. You're 16 years old. You've got to wear a belt. You've got to do this. You've got to do that. Um, just, just to wrap it up here. I'm not going to wrap it up here. I got, anyway, here we go. <laughs> there was a difference, though, when my, when my brother came home with an earring. <laughs> that conversation never occurred. <laughs> My mom says, either you take that out or I'm going to rip it out myself. <laughs> and, uh, and so that was, that was that. There were no earrings in my, in my house. So we could walk around with belts, no belts all day long. All right, so you get the point, I think. You get the point. Um, here's the, sen- the, the term child-rearing here that he uses. Uh, the, well, I'm sorry, turn to the positive side. Uh, so showing favoritism, overtection, uh, pressure to achieve, um, uh, let me say one thing about this. Pressure to achieve. Um, we have to be able to accept and, and encourage our children when they're trying. Okay? When they're trying. When they're doing, I would call it, their best. Of course, we can always do better. You know, I knew a guy who, that was all, all he would ever say. That's not your best. You can always do better. I remember as an adult going to a conference and bought a book for a, a, a friend of mine who was a, a, a gentleman who was over me in authority. And I brought this book back. I was so proud that I had gone out of my way. I would thought about him. I'd spent my own money. I got this book that I thought he had liked. And I came back and I presented it to him with a big smile. I got this for you at this conference. And he, he took it and said, did you get it signed? I was like, What? <laughs> Next year, I went to the conference. I didn't get him a book. <laughs> and that could have been sinful on my, on my part. But the sense of it's never enough. It's never enough. No, when your children are trying to please you and, and, and work for you, and let, let's, let's give them the attaboy, good job. Thanks for trying so hard. You're getting there. That's awesome. Good job. Thank you. Thank you. Well, the positive side is this. Nurture them, right? Don't frustrate them, don't provoke them, but instead nurture them. The Greek word for child, uh, the Greek word that's used for child is pious. Uh, it is the root, root word that's, uh, that's translated uh, training, okay? So the word even for child really means uh, training. And so the term child rearing or child raising comes out of this. Uh, it is active, it is engaging and hear me now, it is active. <laughs> child rearing, child raising, is enga- it's active, it's engaging, it's exhausting. Okay? It's exhausting. But it is worth it. It's worth it. Every moment, every microsecond of training up our children is worth it. 
Remember this, children are little sinners. Children are little sinners. And we must uh, reject the secular worldview that children are born good. Uh, if you don't understand this, then, then, then stick around to our church for a while. You will understand it. Children are sinners. Children are sinners. And it's not our job to regenerate them. That's someone else's job. It's our job to get them to the regenerator, okay? The Holy Spirit's job through the power of the gospel is to regenerate our children, to take away their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. But it's our job to get them to the regenerator, to get them to the Holy Spirit, to get them to Jesus, to bring them to God and, and, and have him do his work in them. The word, the word again says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So we could quote from Crosby, Stills, and Nash, right? Teach your children well, right? Teach your children well. What are we to teach them? Well, a few things here. First of all, teach them the commands of the Lord. Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy um, 6, 4. Hear, O Israel, the Shema from, from, from uh, the Word of God in, in Hebrew. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, and these words that I commend you today shall be on your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. What is the Lord saying there? The Lord is saying, you shall teach these truths, these commandments from the Lord, all the time, all the time. When you get up, when you lie down, when you walk, when you leave your house, uh, on, the, on the doorpost of your house and on your gate, it, it, it's, a, it's a sense that, that this house belongs to God. You belong to me, and my job is to teach you what is on my heart. God has impressed upon me the love of the Lord, and I will impress it upon you. So I am to teach you. I am to train you. Uh, Psalm 78 uh, and, and I'm not going to read the whole thing, but, but we should teach the covenants of the Lord, teach the community of the Lord, teach the compassion of the Lord. Listen to the first section of Psalm 78. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. The psalmist is saying, I'm going to spread these truths about God. Why? Because my father told me about these things. My father has taught me about the Lord, the commands of the Lord, the compassion of the Lord, the covenants of the Lord, what it is to live in the community of the Lord. He says, he says, I will open my mouth. These things that my father have told us. Then he says, we, he turns it to we. Now, listen, we will not hide them from their children, uh, but tell them to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach their children that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children. Generational faithfulness. It, is, it was my, my, my grandfather came to faith. He was a drunk, and he tells the story of coming and literally standing at the front of the church, so drunk that he couldn't stand, holding on to the communion table and asking for prayer, saying, please pray for me. I'm a drunk. He came to Christ, and he put his drink away. He put his smoking away. He put his carousing away, and he lived a righteous night. Not, not a perfect life, but he became a Christian. My dad was raised as a, as a Christian man, not a perfect man, but a Christian man. And even when he walked away from the Lord, he was drawn back to the Lord because the power of the Holy Spirit was, in, was, was, was within him and would not let him rest until he returned to Christ. And he raised his children, Kevin, Kelly, and Garen. Uh, my parents, when people meet my brother and sister, my, my brother is a pastor, my sister married a pastor, and they always say, oh, your dad was a pastor, right? And I say, no, no, he was a body man. He worked he sanded cars for a living, right? He was a carpenter. Uh, he was a very simple man. My dad would say, they'd say, how did your son learn to preach? Or your other son, Garen? And they'd say, he learned to they learned to preach by listening to their mother preach at me. <laughs> that's his, that's he, would always, he would always say. But the point is this, multi-generational faithfulness. 
And now what's, it's my job, right, to pass that same faith on to my son, right? So I got a lot of stuff to say, but I'm out of time. You hear me, right? You hear me. So look at Psalm 78. Look at Psalm 78 when you have time. Let me just say a few more things to dads before we, before we wrap it up. Uh, there's a great book, uh, and you, I've got a few books up here you can come and look at after church if you want to, uh, that are good examples of, uh, of some of these things. But three points, three points that I'm, I'm done. Um, how do, how do we, how do we, besides training, besides instruction, we also, fathers, speaking to you specifically, we need to lead. We need to lead our children, lead our wives. And here's three, three quick points. Number one, how do we lead them? We lead them according to principle. We lead them according to principle. Proverbs 3, 5 to 6 says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. We lean on God as we lead our families and we train our children. We lead them according to these principles. Secondly, we lead by example. We lead by example. We say, along with Paul, follow me as I follow Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Uh, Jesus is abstract sometimes, right? And especially for children. Be like Jesus. Be like Jesus. But you know who's not abstract? Dad. You're not abstract. And you say along with Paul, son, you want to know what it is to live like Jesus? Watch me. Watch me. Do what I do. Say what I say. I remember one time uh, Hayden said something years ago. He's a little bitty boy, and he came home, and, and um, he said some little word that he had heard somewhere. And I said, uh, I said, son, we don't, we don't say that word. It was probably the S-H word, shut up, you know, or <laughs> so. We don't say that word, right? We don't say that. Or the other word, stupid, right? We don't say those words. So anyway, and I said, I said, do you ever hear daddy say that word? Nope. I said, son, whatever daddy says, you can say. Whatever daddy doesn't say, you can't say. That's the way we have to live, men. Watch me. Watch me. Whatever I say, you can say. Whatever I don't say, you can't say. Whatever I watch, you can watch. Whatever I drink, you can drink. Whatever I smoke, you can smoke. Right? <laughs> Whatever it is that I'm doing, you follow me. You do what I'm doing. You follow me because guess what? I'm following Christ. I'm following Christ. So lead according to principle. Lead by example. And finally, uh, lead them to seek wise counsel. Lead them to seek wise counsel. There are times, fathers, in, in, our, in, our, in, our, in our wisdom, it's wise of us to help get our boys and get our girls to others who will also uh, lead them to love the Lord. So those are other men and women in the church. Those are pastors. Those are deacons. Those are elders. Uh, those are godly and, and Christ-like friends. I always appreciate uh, Pastor Warren who always reminds us about Christian friendship. It's, it's a, great, a great thing to remember that our children are to have Christian friends, Christian friends who are trying to help them get to heaven, not trying to help them get to hell, okay? All right? Proverbs 15, 22, without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. Proverbs 12, 5, the thoughts of the righteous are just. The counsels of the wicked are deceitful. Well, that's a lot I know to take in, so... I commend you today to the Word of God and to the great task that is before you. Uh, children, thank you for sitting so quietly and listening and attending. You did a fantastic job. So uh, I'm going to spin the wheel one more time, and it's time to go. Okay, let me see. Anybody? I need to just give me a volunteer. Someone raise their hand. Anybody want to help me here? Uh, 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 okay. Uh, oh, yes, sir. Ethan, right? Ethan. Can you tell me, what is it that you're supposed to do? Obey your father and mother. All right. Good job, Ethan. All right. Thank you. Praise God. All right. So that's the job, right? Uh, let me pick on uh, Jeff Lewis. Uh, you're like, oh, man. <laughs> you're right. Obey your father and mother. There you go. Good job. Do not provoke your children, right? Don't provoke your children, but, but nurture them. Bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Let's pray.
Father, we thank you for this day. Lord, uh, Lord, help us. Lord, the, the, we look around and we see the culture, and sometimes we are, we're dumbfounded, we're befuddled, we're, we're shocked at how quickly it seems to be that the culture is, is declining and evaporating around us. Lord, there are those who would want to take our children from us because we teach these very things. There are those who would say that we're haters and not lovers. Lord, that, that, uh, that, that we're, we're uh, phobic, that we're afraid of all these things. Lord, no, we, we, we are phobic. Lord, we fear you. Lord, we fear you. You are the God of the universe, and uh, you have spoken, and we believe what you have said. Lord, help us to stand true. Help us to stand firm, especially, Lord, as fathers, even though I know this is Mother's Day. Lord, what a blessing they are to us. But as, as fathers, Lord, help us to stand firm. Help us to hold to the faith. Lord, you hold us as we hold on to you. Lord, help our children. We do pray that every single one of the children within the hearing of my voice, Lord, would, would know you, would love you, would be saved from their sin. Lord, would not go to hell, but go to heaven because they have put their hope and trust in you fully and finally. Lord, help our mothers, Lord, as they continue to, to work and to be diligent uh, taking care of their husbands and, and working so hard. Lord, we're, we're, we're so grateful at Redeemed to be, to be a church filled with godly moms who, who love you and who desire their children to be saved. Lord, help us all as, as brothers and sisters in the community of faith here to hold each other up, to strengthen each other by the reading of your word, by the singing of these songs, by the, by the proclamation of your word. Lord, by our time of communion, all of these things are the weapons that you have given us to fight this spiritual darkness. Lord, help us, strengthen us. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand and sing.